Welcome to the Micronaut Podcast. I am your host, Sergio Delamo. I am joined by Micronaut Project Lead, James Clee. How are you, James? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, excellent. a bit under the weather, but uh, we're doing good. This is the second episode of the podcast, as we are recording on Friday the 5th, uh, and we'll be releasing on Monday. Uh, we want to hit a bi-weekly cadence, so the idea is that every two Mondays, You should have a new episode of the podcast. The agenda section, um, it's good to have James because one thing in the agenda is your talk in Madrid, the Groovy User Group. Can you, when is the talk? Uh, I think it's November 17th at, um, I think it's, I think it's 6 p.m. Uh, Central European. And uh, so I think it's noon Eastern time. And yeah, what did you talk yeah, about? Yeah, that's it's my first time talking to this group, and uh, yeah, and so I'm really excited uh, to be speaking there, and hopefully, you know, we get a lot of a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, attendance, and people come check it out. I'll be speaking on uh, Micronaut uh, and AOP, right? So. Um, uh, AOP being aspect-oriented programming, so Micronaut uses AOP, you know, for uh, you know, basically everywhere for all of its really cool features, right? Like our declarative HTTP client, our um, you know the way you interact with Kafka and all of our other messaging solutions, as well as you know web sockets, and so it's um, it's uh, it's used everywhere, and so the the talk is going to be basically going over um, how does it work. And how can you write your own uh, custom AOP, right? And maybe what some some good use cases for that might be, and uh, and sort of demystify sort of the magic of uh, of you know Micronauts AOP story, right? Because it's pretty easy to get started and pretty easy to, to do your own stuff, and uh, more people should uh, should leverage it. Yeah. So for anyone who has never used AOP. Uh, you probably have used a transactional in your Grace or your Spring Boot applications. Mm -hmm. So that's typically, um, what do we call that? We call that... A round advice. The one that you will typically use in a method, right? Yeah, the one where it's it's wrapping around some existing implementation, right? Yeah, so we kind of have a round advice, which is wrapping around something that's already there. And then we have introduction advice, which is we do the implementation for you. It's pretty cool and really easy to get started and, and get dangerous. So I have a puppet project that uses a pushover, which is this sample application to send yourself a push notifications. And I created a, like an annotation that you can put in a method and where the method gets executed. Uh, in the round advice, you get access to both method parameters and the return type, right? Mm -hmm. so you can go uh, as crazy as you want. Yeah, we actually there's actually a really interesting API that we added um, in a part of Micronaut 2, I think it was, um, that allows you to more easily um, uh, interact with the method. So you can it's pretty easy to support things like completable futures and publishers and and blocking types and you know everything um so uh you don't have to have a lot of the logic of is this a publisher is this a future that kind of stuff in your actual code um it's all kind of abstracted away the talk is going to be in english 
and it is gonna be an online talk uh, and it is free uh, so please register i think there is like a so madrid group user group is my you can say my local group is the group that i used to go outside of my house <laughs> when for those of you working remotely before covid it's always nice to have like a a user group where you have to drive a little bit and get out of your routine. And typically talks are in Spanish, but um, we have had English talks in the past. And when it used to be like local, we always had like between 20 and 30 people. So it was really nice. And so really nice that you are joining us. Um, yeah. And for anyone who... The last one was also online. And I think Ivan, who is the organizer of the local group, uh, he streams live. So if you want to ask questions to James, there is a um, thing it streams live in uh, YouTube Live. And uh, yeah, uh, join us and learn about AOP, which is a pretty nice uh, feature. Yeah. Talking about online streaming, uh, we started one thing that we call uh, Micron Live. Um, and basically what we are doing is Tuesdays and Thursdays um, 5.30 Central European time which is for US Central time I think it's 10.30 uh, we are doing essentially I'm, I started creating an application from scratch uh, and I am coding one hour Tuesday one hour Thursday I am building a, an application to essentially the typical application that you will use to um, capture newsletters, subscribers for, a, for your email newsletters. Um, and we have covered, for example, creating the application, setting up GitHub actions. Um, we used, for example, yesterday we integrated the MyCodeViews, which is the module to generate the server-side HTML. We integrated Micronaut security in a in a weird fashion because the application right now is completely unsecured. The one thing that we support in since Micronaut 3.1, we support for you to use Micronaut security but disable the Micronaut security filter. But you can still think you can still use things such as um, JWT generation and JWT validation. And what I'm doing is um, I'm generating a JWT with the user's email in the claims and when someone registers to the newsletter the typical flow is that you receive an email and they tell you click a link to confirm so that link is going to contain a JWT that the application receives and essentially validates uh, using Micronaut security is actually quite transparent because um, what you inject is uh, amino of type token generator so if in the future you want to use something else than the JWT you will be able to do that and yeah so anyone who is interested in hanging out in Twitch and discovering my audio problems which I am having I am quite new to this Twitch so it's been quite an experience to um, to understand the mechanics of the platform um, so yeah please join us um, and uh, with that out of the way, James, let's move to Level Up. So Level Up is this source section. My idea is to bring you a, a tip. Um, in the last episode, we talked about um, 
you are a builder uh, and in this week I want to talk about um, when you use Microdata JDBC which is probably the most I think it's fair to say the most exciting uh, persistent story around Micronaut. You essentially, in your day-to-day, you are creating like in, in methods in an interface. Uh, Micronaut data is doing the heavy lifting and is generating the queries um, at compilation time for you. But sometimes it's useful to like know what kind of query is being generated because you want to make sure that... <laughs> Um, the generated code is as performant as you expect uh, and one really easy way to do that is to add um, a, a logger with the package uh, io.micronaut.data.query uh, and if you add, add that uh, with the level trace um, you will essentially get like the SQL statement uh, printed in your logs um, one thing that I typically do is uh, so Micronaut ships with uh, logback by default and we when you create a new Micronaut application we generate um, under source main resources we uh, generate a logback.xml file um, what I typically do is instead of adding this line in the in the logback file that you're going to use in production what I typically do is I create uh, under source test resources, you can have like a logbat.xml file and that is used in the test and I, that, and I add that, that logger line there so that when I execute the test, I see the, the statement there. So check it out and let me know uh, what you think and hopefully you like it. That's a, that's a really great tip, uh, Sergio. Um, uh, speaking of, of data, data, data JDBC being so uh, exciting, uh, uh, I spoke actually at a local user group like a week ago and, um, and uh, told a, a longtime uh, acquaintance about data JDBC and, and he, he, he was very excited about it. And it was mostly to a group of non-Java people, and so I introduced them to Micronaut and GraalVM, and they were blown away by, you know, the... Uh, you know, 20 millisecond startup time and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. So it was a really positive experience overall. Yeah, one nice thing that we are seeing in the stream, in the micro life is, um, and this is a pattern that I see, is because the, uh, so f- for me, it has changed completely the way I write applications because it is so fast to test that I typically, uh, now I, I almost never run the application. But Mm-hmm. In the past, my flow would have been like write something, run the application, test it, and then maybe add a test. N- now it is so fast to just write a test that I I barely run the application. And if you see the the so we are uploading the recordings uh, to YouTube uh, for Micro Live so that you can watch it on demand. And you see, it's like essentially almost never running the application. If you think that you are starting the server configuring the access to the database, uh, doing the inserts, doing the, the rollbacks in, within the test, and the thing is blazing fast. Yeah. Micro JDBC with microdata is really exciting, and I am sure we'll talk about it in... Especially with the, um, the new announcement of Test Containers Cloud. If you, uh, if yep. you saw that, um, uh, you can have, uh, you know have your containers in the cloud and you don't even have to run them locally, right? Which is which should sp- speed up a lot of uh, uh, test cases as well. 
it will solve use cases for CI, but also I have a MacBook Air M1 uh, and sometimes test container, I, I'm not, not the fault of test container, but the fault of Docker, uh, was one of the last things that was like not working as in an Intel machine. So that probably like going to be like um, in their blog post, they say that that's like um, one of the motivations. So that's pretty exciting. We have to cover the integration with test container because we use it a lot. So we use it internally for um, all our modules. For example, I'm getting back to micro data JDBC. Uh, we test in micro data against many uh, database implementations because right. we support like, so when you work with micro data, you are like the dialect, right? So you say, I'm working with Oracle or I'm working with uh, PostgreSQL or with MySQL. Uh, and we have like tests that use test container and that test against all of those uh, different implementations. And in security, for example, I think uh, you actually wrote it. Uh, we test against Keyclog, right? Was this you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was a big challenge of writing a um, an OAuth client library is making sure that it actually works, right? Um, and uh, so uh, I'm not sure how else we would have done it without test containers. Um, yeah, we, so I was able to create a uh, a local Keycloak instance through test containers and Docker and configure it uh, and get the client ID and secret out of it, right? Um, and then use that to configure the application and then test OAuth, right? And so, um, yeah. so that's one of the ways that we've made sure that our OAuth implementation, client implementation actually works, right? We have to take another day about uh, the security module, um, but let's get moving. So let me go to the next section. In the main section, um, I, I wanted to talk to James about um, how does the frame... So I wanted to use this one, this episode, which is the second episode, so it's one of the early episodes in the podcast to lay out um, some of the conventions that we use in the framework so that people who are already using Micronaut or are, are new to Micronaut um, can understand how they can use the framework and how they can evolve their applications and grow with the framework, right? So um, we use semantic versioning. Can you elaborate for those who are new to semantic versioning what semantic versioning is and what it is for us? Yeah. Sure. Um, so when um, uh, when Micronaut first started, we uh, we came from our experience in Grails, which um, which closely mimicked the versioning scheme that Spring Boot used at the time, right? And that sort of and that sort of makes sense for for Grails because Grails is based on Spring Boot, and Spring Boot. Um, did, did not use semantic versioning. And so when it came to, to Micronaut, we, we needed to come up with a versioning scheme because Micronaut doesn't really rely on very many third-party libraries, um, you know, almost none, right, for just a, a, base, a base application. Um, we decided to use semantic versioning, and um, the, the main reason behind using... Um, any versioning scheme in particular is just so that when people are using the framework, they can have 
some sort of base knowledge about what do the version numbers mean, right? And, um, you know, if I upgrade from 3.1.1 to 3.1.2, what can I expect, right? I shouldn't, users shouldn't have to go read the release notes to know, you know, in general, the types of things that are going to be in those releases. And uh, and semantic versioning is what is the most popular, I think it's the most popular sort of versioning scheme um, that's out there today. And, and so due to its, you know, sort of, large uh, uh, f- you know, amount of people that are familiar with it, that's the one we went with. Uh, and so um, basically um, um, there's a, a version is broken down into three categories. There's major, minor, and patch. Right, Patch releases should only contain backwards compatible bug fixes. So even if there's a bug and, and it's um, uh, if changing it means changing the behavior of something, then that's not backwards compatible, Ex- uh, unless that behavior you know was uh, like an exception, right? Like a like a like a problem. So uh, so the the patch release should really only contain backwards compatible bug fixes, and then the minor version is um, is where we put uh, new features. So any new features that we want to add to the framework. Or if we want to deprecate an existing feature, that only goes into the to minor releases. And um, and sometimes if we're not quite sure on a bug fix, we might put it into a minor release, right? If we, we think it won't break anything, but we're not maybe totally sure, um, we'll put it into a minor release. And then uh, and then the major version is for breaking changes. Uh, so so anything that that breaks you know typical usage of the application or changes in behavior goes into the uh, major release. And what's the cadence? So how often are we releasing a minor, a patch, and a major version? So we're, uh, you know, you know uh, we don't like sort of stick to, we don't sort of publish dates and say this is what it is and that's what it is no matter what. But in general, um, we try and stick to publishing a patch release weekly and a minor release every six weeks and a major release uh, once a year. So one thing that I wanted to talk um, to users is uh, if you find a bug in a module and you create an issue uh, and the bug is fixed, um, we will often release the module immediately. Mm-hmm. So if you need the bug fix, you often can like force the the module's version in your build. So Micronaut releases a, a bomb, a bill of materials. So that's the reason that when you generate a new Micronaut application, you don't have like to specify each of the different modules version, right? So we generate like, um, in this bomb, we have like uh, Micronaut uh, 313, plays well with Micronaut Security 314, and et cetera, et cetera, right? But if you are interested in a particular bug fix or in a feature. So for example, if you are interested in a feature and the feature is coming in Micronaut 3.2 and you are too excited or you actually really need this feature to go into production, often you will be able to like use the feature before the next minor is released, right? Right. So we use like minors will include like new features in core, but also will include all the minors of the different modules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, new features of other modules as well, yeah. So, for example, I was um, 
today, like merging uh, one of your PRs uh, that you added to the um, to the reactor module, a reactor WebSocket client, which we have considered a, a new feature, and that's already released and it's a minor of the reactor module, and that will be included in Micron 3.2, which essentially is the next minor of, of core, right? Right. My my two cents for you, sir, is um, what we want to for you to, and actually we strongly believe this is, if you are updating patch versions, you should never hit a breaking change, and we are being quite strict, and it's sometimes annoying in the PR reviews that someone in the team will come to you and say, "Watch out, this is a breaking change." So you will never find like. You will never find a breaking change in a patch or in a minor version. If there is a breaking change in a patch in a minor version, it's because we did a mistake. But intentionally, we will never do a breaking change until the next major version. And that's a pain for us as people like working in the framework. But we believe that this is really good for the people using the framework because it should give them the, the peace of mind to be like updating their applications. They don't have like to, oh my God, we have to update the version, but let's take a couple of days just to make sure we uh, updating a Micronaut application should be easy. Actually, what, what do you say typically involves to update a Micronaut application? Uh, just changing the version number in, in your build. That, that For a, a non-major upgrade, that should be all that you need to do. And you should have confidence that your tests will pass as well. Yeah. Typically, what they do as well is um, what James just said. So if you are like using Maven, you will find like the micro version in the under project parent version. Um, and if you are using Gradle, I think we see the version in Gradle properties. Mm -hmm. So it's like a micro version specifying Gradle properties. Right. One thing that they typically do as well is so we have this Micronaut application, which is used to generate Micronaut applications, which is Micronaut Launch. So if you go to launch.micronaut.io, we essentially generate archetype for the projects. And one of the things that we we, we ship to build plugins, we ship uh, actually more than two, but uh, we ship a Gradle build plugin, a Micronaut Gradle build plugin, and a Micronaut Mabel plugin. You may be interested in upgrading the, the build version. So in theory, you shouldn't need to, and that's up to you. My recommendation is what I typically do is uh, I go to Micronaut Launch and I check if the, the Micronaut Gradle uh, plugin version, um, if a new version has been released, and the same for Maven, right? So I typically, for me, it typically involves two things, updating the Micronaut version, and I check if I need to update something in my build. Yeah, actually, yeah, you don't actually have to do it for Maven because Maven, um, the build plugin version is part of the... Uh, it comes in automatically when you update the Micronaut version, right? But uh, but unfortunately for Gradle, there's no way of specifying a build plugin version from a bomb. So for Gradle, you have to specify it uh, separately. So, but the Gradle plugin should only contain, you know, bug fixes and things like that. So I wouldn't feel pressured to update it unless you're experiencing problems or, or if you know it contains, you know, some some changes that you're interested in. Um, 
the Gradle plugin is also distributed to the Gradle plugin portal. So it's like any other Gradle plugins that you may be used to. Uh, so I do this, for example, for the Micro Gradle plugin, but I will do this for, I don't know, the, the SAID plugin or any other plugin that you are using in your Gradle applications. So typically what I do is I, I visit the plugins.gradle.org and I check for the, whatever the latest version is and, and check if I am able to. That should probably be the only thing that users have to do. I think the only other thing that I would do is, if I'm upgrading to a minor version, is take a look at the... Um, see if there's any warnings in the compiler about overriding a deprecated API, because we can um, deprecate things in minor versions. And so if you are overriding something that's not deprecated, you should uh, make it you know, uh, part of your upgrade process to change to, you know, whatever the alternative is. I think we do pretty good at at letting users know when something's deprecated what they should be doing instead. About that, um, James is 100% right. So what we typically do is, um, so again, we are being quite strict about generating Java docs for all the public APIs. So essentially, any class that is in a micro module and that has a public or a protecting method uh, is uh, has Javadoc. Same with the classes and the interface as a class level, I mean. And if, for example, what Jane was saying is, um, I give you an easy example. For example, I remember in between in a minor version of micro security, we did to a bunch of methods the, um, the HTTP request. So we added the same method, but we added the HTTP request as a parameter to the method. And we essentially deprecated the old one and the new one was uh, had a default and that called the old one, right? Um, and we added we are we add the a deprecated annotation to the method we are deprecating. And in the Java doc, we add the add deprecated and we tell you like use this other method instead. So if you are like, if your ID is telling you that you are using something which is deprecated, click on, on that link because it will tell you what you have to do instead, mm-hmm. right? So we, we don't let you like, you don't have to check the release notes or anything like that. You have it there, right? Exactly. And it's always easier to do it in minors than waiting for the major because in the major, the method will be gone, right? Yeah. So you are not going to see the, the, what you have to do instead, right? It's better to do it when the ID is telling you that they think it's deprecated. Yep, it's definitely better to do it sooner rather than later because it'll just make your upgrade to the next major version that much easier. Do you want to talk about um, if someone wants to contribute to, for example, MyCodeCore, um, what's our um, branching strategy in the repo if they want to contribute a PR? Yeah, sure. So uh, in for Micronet Core, we don't have like... Um, like a, a master or a main or any sort of you know branch like that, we uh, we just have branches that are named for the version that they represent. So we have 3.1.x, 3.2.x, 3 you know uh, 3.0.x, whatever it is. And the default branch of the repository is targeted towards um, the one where uh, the next patch release, right? Um, so that's the one that we you know bug fixes and things should go into. So if you want to, uh, you know, contribute a bug fix, it should almost always go into the uh, the default branch of the repository. And if you want to contribute, like a, a new feature or something like that, um, 
Uh, first, you should create an issue and propose it uh, before you uh, spend your time on it, right? Because there there could be a lot of things to consider, and uh, and we don't want anybody's time to be wasted. So um, so please create an issue and and uh, propose it, and you know uh, sort of write it out what you think you know should be there and why and and all that kind of good stuff. And then um, if we say, yeah, okay, go ahead, yeah, we'd like to have a PR, then it would go into the next minor uh, branch, right? So uh, so we're currently in the 3.1.x line, so it would go under 3. It would target the 3.2.x branch. Um, but it's quite, you know, if, if for some reason it's not finished in time, it can always be moved up to the 3.3.x branch, right? That's not like a, it's not, it's not a, a big deal. Yeah, typically the... Um so just to recap what Jason just said, we have like um, is the same semantic version that we discussed before. The only part is that we have an X instead of the patch number, so that's basically the branch. So three one X is the current default, and three two X is the next minor, and we'll have like four zero X, which will be the next major. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to move to the next section, James. Do you want to add anything to about um, versioning or branching? Um, no, I just want to say um, that, uh, you know, we are not picky about contributions. We don't have a lot of requirements or, or you know, I'd say it's pretty easy to contribute to Micronaut. I think the only thing that requires that you sign our contributor's license agreement, which, um, you know, comes up automatically when you submit a PR. So, you know, please don't, don't be afraid to... Uh, to submit changes to the framework, we, we welcome and appreciate um, everybody who uh, is willing to contribute. Yeah, we'll do an episode about contributing, but actually what James said is 100% true. We have actually a lot of contributors. Uh, we have seen a lot of people uh, submitting actually quite complicated features uh, to the framework. Um, so thanks a lot to you. And if you are thinking about um, something that you think it will be a nice feature to have don't be intimidated um, really bring it up to discussion yeah I think we've had over 300 unique contributors to that yeah, amazing and that's probably not included like everyone in different modules right right yeah. that's just core yeah it's uh, absolutely fantastic um, let me go to the next section this episode is brought to you by our sponsors Object Computing, which is our ambassador sponsor, Safri.net, which is our bronze sponsor. And also thanks to our uh, community sponsors, uh, who are individuals who support the framework through donations. And uh, let me try to read the names out loud. So we have uh, Corbinian Balg, uh, Gis uh, Loising. Uh, Lucas uh, Morachet, uh, Jim uh, Weiss, uh, Jeff Scott Brown, and Danilo Marquez, uh, Edgar Rios Navarro, uh, Goran Erson, uh, Andrew McKee, uh, Balasu Brahmanayan Rengasami, uh, Philip uh, Eisenbach, Hassan uh, Mohudin, and Jason Siller. Thanks a lot to all of them. Apologies for my mispronunciation of your names uh, in advance. And if you want to support the framework and make the framework possible, visit our uh, sponsors uh, page, which you can find in the micro.io website. If you go to foundations, 
Uh, you can learn more about the foundation and about how to support it. And with that, uh, let's move to the next section. Thank you. So in the last section of the podcast, uh, we typically discussed um, some content that we have published in the previous episode. Um, we have published actually quite a lot of content since the last um, podcast episode. We have this um, subdomain called guides.micronaut.io, which is um, where we have like um, step-by-step tutorials uh, that show you a concept or how to do an integration of the framework. <clears throat> and typically this is, we guide you all the steps to create the application until a finished solution. You can download a complete solution or you can like follow along and do all the changes. Um, and we published a couple of guides. Uh, let me actually open guides.micro.io. So we published a guide about, so we integrate with MongoDB and MongoDB, we use the, I think it's the official uh, Mongo Java client. And we published two guides. One that is, uh, if you want the, to use the sync version of the, Mongo, of the Mongo client, or another one, if you want to use the async uh, version, uh, it depends from application to application. Um, I was, for example, with a client that they were like using Mongo within a Lambda. So it didn't really make sense for them to use the async version. But if you are like using uh, Mongo in an app in, with the native runtime and you want to um, you want to avoid having to like uh, block and flag your code with a execute on checks the the async uh, version because that will basically give you like everything you need. <clears throat> we have another implementation with Mongo which we don't have any guide yet, which is if you want to use um, Gorm for Mongo. If you want to you like are building an application with uh, Groovy and Micron, you can use uh, Gorm for Mongo, and that's like more kind of a. This will abstract you a little bit more from the fact that you are using Mongo. Have experience with Gorm, that may be of interest. Then we published two guides, which are actually quite interesting. Uh, one is um, client credential flows uh, with Amazon Cognito, and we published the same one with uh, Out Zero. This is an example of what we were like, what we were discussing before is uh, community contributions. Uh, we had an issue with um, using client credential flows with out zero because they require like some extra parameter, which is typically not like in the spec. Um, and a user contributed a feature to Micron Security for Micron Security, the, the version of Micron Security was included in 3.1. Which essentially allow UI to add like um, custom parameters to that request for the client credentials flow, and we we wrote a guide showing the integration and this person uh, who I am a terrible person because I forgot his name <laughs> he wrote essentially the feature in Micron Security, um, and that's kind of a a loop a feedback loop that we are trying to do, especially with these security things, which sometimes you have to test against the third party to see that they are like 100% spec um, compatible or they don't have anything on top of the spec that you have to think about. And for, <clears throat> for Cognito, the same. We have a, a guide which shows um, how to use client credential flow 
which is a, a really useful flow where you want to communicate on a secure manner between applications. And uh, Amazon Cognito is, um, I think it's free. Uh, I don't think there is any charts involved. So if you are an AWS, that's like a good option. And the last guy that I want to tell you about is um, we, so we have, in my code, we can, we say that we are a foundation technology that you can create many kinds of applications. And one of the applications that we want, that we have is um, functions. We support like creating functions uh, against AWS Lambda or against uh, Microsoft Azure. But we support also against uh, Google Cloud Platform. We support like um, we have a guide for which shows you how to use um, HTTP functions, uh, which are essentially like um, as the name said, uh, functions that are invoked with an HTTP trigger. Um, and you will the nice thing of Micronaut and functions, especially these functions that are um, HTTP trigger, is that if you want to you can write as you will write a normal micro application. What I mean is you will have controllers and method annotators with at get, at post. And essentially Micronaut, the, the micro GCP module or the Micronaut AWS Lambda module, they will take care of bridging both worlds, right? They will take care of um, adapting between the Google Cloud Platform representation of an HTTP request to the Micron representation of HTTP request and route the request to the appropriate controller. Um, what that can enable is what some people are referring to as being cloud independent or like uh, having a, a, a smaller lock-in uh, with a cloud vendor. Um, yeah, I think that's a nice thing. And if you are like working with Google Cloud, check out. Um, the deploying an HTTP function to Google Cloud Function Guide. And if you are interested in any new guide, let us know. In addition to my account guides, and uh, with this, we will wrap up the episode. This, um, we have, this is probably for another episode, but the MyCode framework has documentation per module and documentation per core. That's like the reference documentation. The MyCode guides is like, in addition to the reference documentation, right? So we recommend you to check the reference documentation of the technologies that you are using. And the MyCon Guides is kind of like taking you by the hand and walking with you in an example um, to create a real application. Uh, and actually, we talked for 40 minutes, James. So it was longer than I expected. Uh, do you want anything before we wrap up? Yeah, I just want to, yeah, I do want to um, sort of just add on to the guides thing. I think, you know, our documentation is great, and I, uh, but it's definitely more for people who are already using the framework but are questioning how something works, how, you know, a specific thing works, you know, or... Um, Whereas uh, if you're new to the framework or you're just getting started, the guides are a much better place to <clears throat> to look at um, because it's much more of a, um, a, a new user-friendly sort of experience. So, um, uh, but I think our documentation is very good. Um, 
but but it is for you know it is more of like I said like a reference documentation. So if you're new to the framework, please check out the guides, and then once you're a little bit more comfortable, then you can check out the uh, the reference. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I do actually typically that, and that's for example something that I have been doing in the in the micro life is I typically add links to the readme file of my projects to the micro models that I am using. So because that's, as you said, that's typically like reference documentation. So for example, what you can expect in the reference documentation is we have like um, like configuration properties. So we have like a configuration reference, we call it, where you have like all the configuration that you can use. We have like tables which are generated with real data. So they are always up to date, they are correct. So there are no like typos in those tables. And that's an excellent thing to have in your bookmarks because, as James was saying, this is something that you have to check, like, what's the name of this configuration, right? So sometimes you need to go to, to the source. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with this, James, um, I'm going to thank you for joining me today. I'm going to thank everyone for listening, and we see each other in two weeks. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great. Mm-hmm.